Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, last week we began our Advent series by looking at the angel Gabriel's gospel announcement to godly Zacharias. The announcement that that he would have a son and, and that son whose name would be John was to be appointed, he was appointed by God to, to be someone who would, who would bring about reformation and revival in the land of Israel. And not only that, but who himself would be the forerunner of the Lord. And, and we saw, didn't we, how, how Zacharias responded at first with unbelief and how serious that was. Do you remember, children, what happened because he didn't believe the angel? He wasn't able to speak. He was silenced. For how long? Well, for over nine months. Because that's how long his wife Elizabeth would have been pregnant with John. Gabriel's announcement to Zacharias is a sober warning against unbelief. And it's a solemn call then to faith in and submission to the gracious Lord and his word. But how do we get there? How does unbelief in our hearts and lives, how does unbelief die and give way to faith and submission? It doesn't work to just tell yourself, come on, believe more, have more faith. It doesn't work to beat yourself up for your lack of faith or or for your weakness in faith and hope that, that somehow that will result in real faith or better and stronger faith. That's not how faith is born or strengthened. But on the other hand, faith in the Lord and in his word doesn't happen or grow automatically either. No, faith, that sovereign gift of the Holy Spirit, is born and strengthened in our hearts through hearing and focusing on the gospel, the good news of the grace of the Almighty God in and through his Son, Jesus Christ. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. And it's exactly this word, this this gospel word, that is so clearly and gloriously revealed in Gabriel's second announcement, this time to the Virgin Mary, in order to generate and to strengthen faith in and submission to God and His Word. And so with God's help, we want to consider our text, Luke 1, verses 26 to 38 under the theme, Gabriel's Gospel Announcement to Mary. A gospel announcement, first of all, magnifying God's great grace. Secondly, promising a glorious son. And thirdly, ending in glad submission. How does Gabriel's Gospel Announcement in these verses magnify God's great grace? Well, we see it especially in verses 26 to 30. If you have your Bibles open, I invite you to follow along as we go through these, these verses. Verse, verses 26 to 30 says this, And in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail, thou that art highly favored, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. 
Did you notice that word favor? Twice Gabriel refers to favor being shown to Mary. Thou art highly favored. Thou hast found favor with God. What that tells us, congregation, is that Mary's being chosen to be the mother of Jesus. The mother of the Son of God has nothing to do with her worthiness. It has everything to do with the grace of God. God's sovereign goodwill. God's favor. And Gabriel's announcement to Mary magnifies this grace of God by showing that God bestows, God gives his great grace in a lowly place to an ordinary person. Notice, first of all, the place that God shows his grace. The last time God sent Gabriel on a mission, as we saw last week, with a, with a, with a message of grace, was when he sent him to tell Zacharias that he would have a son who would be the Lord's forerunner. And, and when Gabriel was sent there, Gabriel was sent to a very important place. He was sent to deliver this message in Jerusalem, and not only Jerusalem, but to the temple in the holy place as Zacharias was offering the incense. And and that's right and proper, we, we would think. It's appropriate that God should reveal his gospel in the temple, in the place of sacrifice, in the place where he had said he would put his name, where he had said he would be pleased to dwell. And, and so we might think then that Gabriel's second announcement with this greater announcement should be sent again to the same place, to the holy place, to the temple in Jerusalem. But he's not. Luke tells us he was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. He was sent to a lowly place. Where was Galilee? Well, children, if you can, you can picture a map, Jerusalem is, is down here and, and Galilee is, is up here. Between Jerusalem and, and Galilee, there's the region of Samaria. And Nazareth was on the bottom part of, of uh, Galilee, in between the bottom tip of the Sea of Galilee and, and the Mediterranean Sea, about halfway in between. And to, so to get there, you, you had to pass from Jerusalem, you had to pass through the region of Samaria and, and so this town, it was, it, was a, it was a small town. And you might ask, well, what was so special? Why, why go there? What was so special about Nazareth? Nothing. Nothing. At that time, Nazareth was a small, insignificant village. At most, it would have had about 2,000 people as, as a population. Some commentators think as little as four to, to 500 and in the Old Testament, you, you look through the Old Testament, it never mentions the town of Nazareth. It was a small, unimportant place with, with seemingly no potential and no purpose. Maybe, maybe you remember, children, how when Jesus began his ministry and he began calling his disciples and, and Philip, he called Philip and then Philip went to, to Nathaniel and, and he said to Nathaniel, we have, we have found the Messiah, Jesus of Nazareth. And how did Nathaniel respond? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? But it's exactly to this place that God sends Gabriel. Doesn't that magnify his great grace? Doesn't it show us how gracious God really is? Just, just, imagine, just imagine for a moment, children, a, an important leader or, or a, a other person from, from other important person from another country coming to, to visit Canada. Where do you think they would go? Well, 
it probably wouldn't be Monarch, would it? It, it probably wouldn't be Southern Alberta. It would most likely be, be Ottawa or another important city like that. But you see, God doesn't work that way. He comes in His grace with messages of His grace even to the lowliest, most ordinary, and even unimportant places. He did that in our passage, and He still does the same today. Some of you, some of you can remember times and places where the Lord, as it were, invaded your space where he came in grace with a message of grace to you, perhaps, perhaps in a powerful in a, and unusual way, in a place maybe, maybe even here in this church building. You can remember times when, when the Lord came and, and he felt so near. Or it could be a, a place like a barn and a, or a kitchen or a living room or a bedroom or a back, or a back room. Maybe on the tractor or, or inside your car you can, you can speak of places so you can speak of these Nazareths where God suddenly came with a message of grace. Perhaps as you read his word. Or perhaps by his spirit he, he brought his word to you, the memory of his words, the truths of his word to you so powerfully. And you felt, you suddenly felt his presence and his nearness and his undeserved love and help and comfort and compassion. God makes known his grace in the lowliest places. He does that sometimes in extraordinary ways, but, but he does that many times, many times, even in ordinary ways. Think about how many people in the world know about Monarch. How many people in the world know about this church building here in Monarch that we're meeting in at this very moment? Not many. How many people in the world even care, even if they do know, care that we're, we're here? Even less. And yet God, by the proclamation of his word, comes here in grace with a message of grace to you and to me each and every Lord's Day. And he doesn't just do that here. He does it, he does it in the care home where you may more or less be confined or in your own home. And he, and he does it in churches all over the world. He does it in, in house churches in China. He does it in prisons. The almighty God of the universe reveals his grace in places that you would never think he would go to make clear to us how great his grace really is. What an encouragement that is then to believe in him and to submit to him wherever you are. God magnifies his grace not only by sending Gabriel to the lowly Gal Galilean town of Nazareth, but also by sending him with a message of grace to a lowly person. He sends him to Mary, a young woman probably between the ages of 13 to 80. And Luke doesn't really tell, tell us much about her at this point. All he, tells, all he tells us is that she is a virgin and, and she was betrothed. She was engaged to a man named Joseph of the house of David. That's all he tells us. She wasn't a queen or a princess. She wasn't a prophetess. She wasn't anyone important in the eyes of the world. She wasn't rich. In fact, we, as we keep reading in Luke, we learn later that both Joseph and, and Mary are, are quite poor because the offering that they bring to after Jesus is born to the temple, isn't the regular lamb, it's, 
It's a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And yet Gabriel was sent to this young woman. And he greeted her by telling her that she was highly favored, that the Lord was with her, that she was blessed among women, that she had found favor with God. Oh, how amazing is the grace of God that God would even choose this lowly person, this lowly Mary, to be the mother of his son. That's how willing congregation he was and he is to save his people. Of course, Gabriel's mission to Mary was very unique. She was to bear and give birth to the Son of God, a unique once-in-history privilege. But the kind of grace you see that God gave to Mary in calling her to be the mother of his son, is the same kind of grace God gives in calling sinners to salvation. Last week, we read 1 Corinthians 1. And in verses 26 to 29, Paul reminds us that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound or to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty and base or insignificant things of the world and things which are despised has God chosen, yea, and things which are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. And it is by that same kind of sovereign, undeserved grace then which God showed to Mary that he saves and he accepts sinners so that their salvation would be, as Paul puts it in Ephesians 1 verse 6, to the praise of the glory of his grace. Oh, what a comfort and what an encouragement this is to those who feel themselves to be so unworthy. Is that someone here This morning, salvation is by grace, not by anything in ourselves. And that means that no matter how lowly or insignificant or unworthy you may feel yourself to be, you are not beyond the reach of God's grace. Whether that be the grace of his initial converting work or whether that be the grace of his ongoing sanctifying and restoring and preserving work, no one is beyond the reach of God. Of God's grace. And that includes, that includes you, dear children, little children. Being little means, means there are some things you cannot do. You have to wait till, till you get bigger, till you grow up. But you're not too little. No one is too little or too small to be saved. No one is too little or too small to know this Lord, this Savior. You can go, dear children, to the Lord even now and ask Him to be your Savior. And He will. And dear young people, you who have, to, who have to struggle with all the changes that come with growing up, changes that, that can also sometimes leave you f- feeling lost and confused and alone and, and, and so insignificant, the grace of God can reach and save even you. He bestows his grace on lowly people. How can that be, you say? Maybe, maybe that's your response. Like Mary, you're, you're troubled at this saying. You, you find it hard to grasp. Such grace for me? 
And you're casting back and forth in your mind like Mary. How, how this can be? What does this mean? How can God bestow such grace on me? Isn't it all because of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God incarnate? You see, Gabriel's gospel announcement to Mary not only magnifies God's great grace, but also promises a glorious Son. We see this especially in verses 30 to 33 in Gabriel's response to Mary's confusion. Verse 30 says that the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son and shalt call his name Jesus. He shall be great and shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there shall be no end. Imagine that. Imagine receiving a promise like that. What an amazing promise. Mary would conceive a son. And what a son he would be. Think for a moment of the glorious names that the angel gives him. Thou shalt call his name Jesus. Children, do you know what the name Jesus means? The Lord saves. The Lord saves. What a glorious name. Telling us that the, what the Lord's purpose was in and with this Son from the very beginning. Telling us what he was about to do and, and what he still is doing in and through his Son, this Son. Saving his people from their sins. But Gabriel also says this son that was to be born to Mary shall be called the son of the highest. Or as he puts it in the end of verse 35, the son of God. Oh, isn't that such a comfort and an encouragement to faith, to trusting in Jesus Christ. Knowing that he is the very son of God. God's eternal, only begotten and beloved son. Appointed, loved and accepted by him. Aren't these glorious names, congregation? Such an urgent call to faith. In and submission to Jesus Christ. Think too, not just about the glorious names. The angel says Mary's son will be called, but also his glorious natures. The son of Mary is fully and completely human. He was to be conceived in Mary's womb as a little baby. And, and, and she would carry this, this son to term for nine months, and, and then she would give birth to him, fully human. And yet at the same time in one person, he is the son of God. A name that when used of, of the Lord Jesus means that he is God himself. The second person of the Trinity. Doesn't that remind you of what we heard last Lord's Day evening? That the salvation which the Lord works in and through this son is perfect. It's complete. It's all sufficient. Oh, what a glorious son was promised to Mary. What a glorious Savior, too, was given for sinners like us. But Gabriel's not finished. He goes on to tell Mary how this son would be a glorious king. The Lord would give him the throne of his father David. He would be the king from David's line, whom God had promised many times in the Old Testament to raise up. God had made a covenant with David 
You remember that in 2 Samuel 7? Promising David that he would set up his seed after him and would establish David's house and kingdom and throne forever. But for so long, for 600 years, there had been no king in Israel from the line of David. Instead, there were the Romans and their puppet king, Herod. But now... Mary receives this promise that her son, the son that she would conceive and bring forth, would be given the throne by God. By God. Isn't that beautiful, congregation? Doesn't that tell you that God is always in control? Even when that that promise is long in coming. He would be given the throne. The Lord God would give to Mary's son the throne of his father David. He would be king. And even more than that, he would reign over the house of Jacob. And we shouldn't take that exclusively as just only over the house of Jacob. Because if you read the Old Testament prophecies, the king who is promised to be over the house of Jacob draws all nations, all kings to worship him. He would reign over the house of Jacob and really over the whole world then forever. Of his kingdom, there would be no end. You remember hearing a few months ago, I'm sure, about the death of Queen Elizabeth. You know, children, that she was the longest reigning monarch in the United Kingdom. She reigned over 70 years. That's a long time. She was reigning before I was born. She was reigning even before my mom and dad were born. It's a long time. But her reign came to an end, didn't it? The reign of every earthly king and queen does. Yes, the reign and the rule of every world leader comes to an end. But not the reign of this son of Mary. He, this Jesus, is king forever. What a glorious son. Every attempt to topple him off his throne will never succeed. It won't even come close. The Lord reigns, and he reigns forever. Even now, at this very moment, he is reigning as king. Because, you see, this son of Mary humbled himself in becoming man, and because he became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. To save his people, God has also highly exalted him and given him a name above every other name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. And every tongue confess that he is Lord to the glory of God. He is seated even at this very moment at the right hand of God. And he will reign forever. Oh, what a glorious son. No matter what happens in this world, God's people are safe and secure forever in and with and through him. Because it is in and through him, this son who suffered, who went to the cross, who not only humbled himself by becoming this little baby, but continued to humble himself and went all the way to the cross where he satisfied the wrath of God. It is through him that he bestows such magnificent grace. What an encouragement to trust in him. What a call to submit to him. 
Are you? Are you trusting in him? Are you submitting to him? Is he king in your heart? Is he king of your life? Of my life? Not just parts of it. But all of it. Not just on Sundays. But every day of the week. Is his word the rule for your life? Beloved, one day everyone will submit fully to him. There is no question about that. The question is whether you will do it now. Humbly and gladly and increasingly by grace while it is still the day of grace. Or whether you will do it when he returns on the clouds of heaven in terror and in anguish. Advent is about the coming of Christ. Not just his first coming, but also his second coming. Are you prepared for it? Are you ready? Are you ready for that day and that hour when Christ will come again to crush all opposition once and for all? When he will destroy that last enemy death? When he will bring his people into the full perfection of his kingdom and cast all his enemies into the lake of fire? Is the return of Christ, dear congregation, something that you look forward to? Are you eagerly waiting for that second coming of King Jesus promised in God's word? The glorious son that Gabriel's announcement promises calls us to submit to him now, gladly and fully in faith and repentance. And Mary's example in our text is, is meant to be a help to that. And this brings us to our last point. Gabriel's gospel announcement to Mary ends in glad submission. We see this in verses 34 to 38. Then Mary said unto the angel, after this glorious promise, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. And behold, thy cousin Elizabeth, she has also conceived a son in her old age, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For with God, nothing shall be impossible. And Mary said, Behold, the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. Here, in contrast to Zacharias, we see Mary's glad submission to the angel's gospel announcement set before us as an example, calling us to likewise submit all of us to the call of the gospel given to us. When Mary first hears Gabriel's announcement that she she was to conceive and give birth to this glorious son, she's astounded. And and she struggles to to understand how how this will happen. And she asks a question. But beloved, it's not not the same kind of question Zacharias asks. She's not asking for a sign. She's not asking a question in unbelief. No, she's simply asking with wonder and admiration. How will this happen? She's not married. She's never known a man sexually. She believes the promise, but, but how will it happen? Well, the angel answers in two parts. 
First, he gives a mysterious explanation. A mysterious explanation. He tells her that her conception of this glorious Holy Son would be a work of the Holy Spirit, a work of the power of God. And when you, when you read that, when you read Gabriel's explanation, maybe at, at first you think, what? It doesn't really explain anything. But it's not meant to. What it's meant to do, what it was meant to do for Mary, and what it is meant to do for us, is not to make us say what, but to make us say, wow. The virgin birth is a miracle involving the triune gods. It's meant then to make us bow in worship and fear of him. And it's when we are worshiping this God, when we are in so in awe of him and what he has done, that we also become willing to submit to him. But the second thing Gabriel does is, is to give Mary an encouraging sign of God's power. He, he tells her about her relative Elizabeth, whose barrenness was well known. She was called barren. He tells her that, that she, as old as she was, far past the age of childbearing, that even she had conceived a child. It was already six months along. And he, he, he tells her this, and then he says, he makes this conclusion that explains how Elizabeth became pregnant. For with God, nothing shall be impossible. Nothing shall be impossible with God. And so Mary here, hears this angel, Gabriel, telling her that it will be God who, who by his power will cause this child to be conceived in her womb. And it is this God with whom nothing is impossible. And so her eyes are turned to the Lord and to his greatness and to his power. She trusts in him and his almighty power to fulfill his promises. And she gladly submits to Gabriel's gospel announcement. Behold, behold, here am I, the handmaid, literally the slave of the Lord. Be it unto me according to thy word. That's quite something when you think about it. Think about what all this meant for Mary. All her dreams, all her, her plans for her life were suddenly turned upside down. What would Joseph think when, she, when he found out that she was pregnant with a child that did not belong to him? What would he say? What would he do? Naturally, he would assume that she had committed adultery, and that meant that legally he had every right to divorce her. And what would others think? She couldn't hide in a small town like Nazareth. And yet... She gladly submits. She surrenders her will. Yes, she yields her life to the Lord. What matters most to Mary is not her will or her way, but God's will and God's way. That's quite something. But it's exactly what it means to be a Christian. Well, that doesn't mean that Christians always submit perfectly to the Lord's will and way. Sometimes, 
Sometimes we act more like Zacharias than Mary. And Mary herself, as we read later, she, she will struggle with her own wishes and her own desires for her son. But you see this glad submission in Mary, the surrender, her surrender to God's revealed will is what a Christian desires and strives for, even when he falls so far short. That's what matters most to believers, to be wholly given over to the will and the way of God. Have thine own way, O Lord. Have thine own way. Thou art the potter. I am the clay. Mold me and make me after thy will. While I am waiting, yielded and still, Is that what matters to you? Has the good news of Jesus Christ, has the call to repentance and faith in him brought you to the point of total surrender and submission of your will to his, of your way to his way, of your words to his word, no matter what the cost? Some of you are here, and you would have been, you, you, you are around the age of young Mary, young people. Are you willing to sacrifice everything for the sake of knowing and following the Lord? Even your relationships, even your reputation, even your own dreams and plans for your life. Congregation, all of us, young ones, older ones, all of us, is the prayer and desire of your heart that your life would be a life according to God's word. If it's not, and I say this with all respect and love, how can you think that you're a Christian? How can you call yourself a Christian? Mary gladly submitted by the grace of God to the will of God for her life. And so all of us are called to gladly submit to his will and word. And sometimes that's hard. Sometimes that's very hard. It was hard for Mary. But think how much harder it was for Mary's son to submit to the will of God for him. What did he have to endure? What did he have to suffer? What does Hebrews 12 verse 2 say? That he for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Dear congregation, Gabriel's gospel announcement calls us to faith and submission to God and his word and will. It magnifies God's great grace. It promises a glorious son, and it ends in glad submission. Will this worship service end in your glad submission to the Lord? Oh, it is not impossible, for nothing is impossible with God. For Mary's son, you see, is on the throne to make a people willing, by his great grace, to submit to him, to serve him. 
Oh, then let us gladly submit to him. Let us look to him, the author and finisher of our faith, the Lord Jesus Christ, remembering who he is. He is Jesus, the Lord who saves, the Savior whose blood cleanses from every sin. He is the Son of God, and he is the everlasting King. Beloved, there is no better master than him. There is no better master. You won't find any grace, such great grace in anyone else. There is no greater freedom than in the way of faith and submission to him. Blessed are all they that put their trust in him. Thus says the word of God. Amen.